Hey guys, this is JT Cruel, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and use the voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. United Armies of the Spoilerverse, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenner Green. That's Mr. Horsley. And today on the show... Well, it's JT Kroll, isn't it? It is, it is. And this is a fun episode because I'm on it, but I couldn't talk until the very, very, very end. That's right. You had, <laughs> what was, so you were having like difficulties or something. You could hear me, but he couldn't hear me for some reason. So I sat and listened to the whole thing and kept trying to talk and nothing came in. Then at the very end, when you guys said goodbye, all of a sudden you can hear me. Oh, that, yep. Then it was, of course we could hear you the whole time, Johnny. We just chose to ignore you jokes. <laughs> yeah, and which, 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 which might, have, might have been the truth. So, I don't know. You guys are kind of mean. JT was awesome. Yeah, he was a lot of fun. He was cool. Yeah, to I can't wait to have everything. him back on again. Yeah, he's he's going to come back on, hopefully. And it was this, this is a, a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun listening to it. I didn't talk much, obviously. but Yeah. Well, there you guys go. Well, should we just sit back and listen to JT in his own words? Let's do it. guys thanks for coming back uh today is going to be an amazing show because we have a very awesome individual on uh michigan born and raised he's worked on tv hits as seinfeld and robot chicken he's a mainstay writer for dc comics and along with uh, mlt jt thank you so much for coming on and hey, for having me how do you is it crawl cruel cruel okay yeah i the k I, I know that K can can change the the initial pronunciation, so I was like, okay, I want to make sure. I didn't want to say JT Crawl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I, I have people I've worked with for years that don't pronounce it right, so I've done I've done many a panel, even while I was under exclusive for companies, and they would mispronounce my name. So uh, <laughs> that's yeah, I have. So my name is Ken and Rick together, right? It's just Kenrick, and for years, I, I will still to this day, people still say Kendrick. Yeah, so they want to put the D in there. Where'd huh? you get the D yeah. from? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. You must have an Anna Kendrick vibe about you, you know, that people they just people pick up on that. Must be. I wish I was cooler. <laughs> She's pretty cool. She's pretty cool. And she can sing. And she can sing. I'm not cool and I don't think I can sing, so I can carry a tune. I'm I'm okay doing karaoke if I have a few drinks. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Hey man, you got a degree in film and video production from Michigan State. I did. Did I you? Did, uh, yeah. Are you actively using it? Uh, not right now. Well, I mean, no. I mean, the short answer is 
all the tech it's so funny all the technology i was working with yeah you know conceptually i guess you could say i am but like all the technology is so obviously it was outdated as soon as i graduated uh college like we were using three-quarter inch tape decks and like the cameras were like the camera was on the shoulder but you had a, a cable attached to the recorder unit with a three-quarter inch drive that you'd have yeah. to carry like a side pack or have someone hold but then as soon as i got out I worked for a production company and they had just gotten the state of the art, the uh, video editing package, which was, you know, at that time was like the, the, the top of the line, the new thing where nobody had video, you know, even it was just Michigan State University, a major right. university. And they had yeah. studio and, and cameras and, and everything in, in a control rooms and all that, but they didn't have digital anything. They didn't have digital editing. They didn't have, you know, a digital Chiron. They didn't have di none, none of that. It was all just, you know, old, kind of the old school way. So. For, for everything I did, it was mostly, uh, you know, the, fu the fundamentals of stuff. But I did like a, you know, did a did video production. We did audio production, did some screenwriting stuff, um, cool, some though. multimedia stuff. Yeah. 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 Did you have a lot of fun going through that course? Getting it's that degree? great. Uh, it was great. Uh, the it's, it's funny. Uh, I tended to do go over the top and do really well on the pass fail projects where they just were like, here, try to tinker with this <laughs> new format and have fun just with it. Pass and or I fail. Would go way overboard. Uh, and then, and then, uh, and then when it came to the actual ones that were the graded projects, they were always kind of more, I don't know, kind of a little more boring and kind of straightforward. And it was right. kind of didn't really, didn't really do it for me. So I, I, I would, it was always funny where like the, the, the past fail ones would always tend to be the ones that we'd always go all out for. <laughs> so did that lead to you getting your job um, with Seinfeld on the TV show? I mean, it's really hard to tell. I mean, how much did a, did a line of my resume that I went to Michigan State and studied television production help me get a job as a production assistant? Yeah. I really don't know, you know, um, but uh, it was crazy. So I graduated from Michigan State. I was staying in Michigan. Uh, I was living with a girlfriend at the time, was actually contemplating going to grad school. I was actually selling radio advertisement for a, a brand new format for the, one of the local radio stations that just turned to alternative rock. Nice. Uh, um, uh, yeah, great station, a lot of fun, great people. I hated selling radio advertisement. It was awful. Like it was just, it was a <laughs> very, it just, it's, it's like, it's just, it was just not a Is fun job. Is it soul job. sucking? And, it, it's it's not soul sucking. It's just it's just you know it's you know I guess it does train you to hear the word no and not be bothered by it. Right. But I was ma I was making no money, uh, uh, and then um, and I wanted I always wanted to come to Los Angeles and pursue you know the entertainment industry. But I was honestly, if I can be candid now, this ripe old age of mine, I was scared. You know, it yeah. was a terrifying thought to to leave everybody and everything I knew and move three thousand miles away and, and move to Los Angeles. But I always told myself that if I ever either had a job or a place to stay that I had to do it. And um, my stepsister at the time was dating somebody who was doing an internship in Santa Monica. They were losing a roommate. And she said, it was like the middle of October, and she was talking to me and said, oh, they're going to need somebody. And I said, I'll take it. And nice. basically had one phone conversation with them. Uh, and then I left on New Year's Day. <laughs> moving, so from, left, moving from Michigan, yeah. though, to Southern California in the winter, how good did that feel? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was good. the funny thing was, so we actually left, we were going to leave. Uh, my mom wanted to do a road trip with me cause she loves going on road trips. So she actually rode out with me and then she flew back That's and awesome. we were going to leave like January 2nd. And we ended up leaving January 1st because a huge snowstorm was coming in and yeah. we only made it as far as Indianapolis. Before we got snowed in. Oh. And then the next day, the next day we only made it to, uh, like St. Louis. Oh. And then one, one morning we actually, 
we got off the road because everything was iced over. We saw like several accidents by us. Like a, car, a truck would go, a big four by four truck would go zooming by me. And then like two miles down the road, we saw it and it had run off the road, gone down in the ditch, popped up the other side and crashed through a fence. And the guy's out like stretching his back and looking in his bumper. And wow. so we actually got off the road and hung out at a, at a, like a Walmart in the middle of nowhere for three hours because the sun was out. So we just waited for the ice to melt off the road a little bit. Yeah. And then we Smart. got on our way. So, oh, man. um, yeah, it was nuts. I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a town called Hastings in Michigan, which uh-huh. was about 6,000 people. So I went from a, a town of 6,000 to a university of 40 to a town of a city of, you know, 8 million. So right. it, was, it was exponentially, you know, getting <laughs> bigger Well, 6,000 is cool. 40 must be better. 40,000 is all right. 8 million. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like, I laugh because the, the place where I was staying was right in the heart of Santa Monica. And when I moved in, I thought I'll ne- I'm never going to be able to get out of the parking garage. There's so much traffic. And within, you know, a week it was, I, I realized that, Oh no, there's no traffic here at all. Like this is actually pretty light. So, um, uh, and then I, in those days I was still, you were still faxing. Um, I'm dating myself a little here, but there yeah. was no monster. There was no net monster, monster.com, none of that. And so I literally went to the Santa Monica library and I looked through the yellow pages and just started writing down names and phone numbers for all in any studios and production companies. And I just would, I cold called, you know, and, and, and I got through, I called Castle Rock Entertainment, which produced the Seinfeld show at the time. And most of the time you'd call the studio and you would get, if anything, you would get a recording where they would leave these ma- massively long recordings, which would just say, these are the jobs we're looking for. And it would be accounting or legal a lot yeah. of times. And, uh, and I got the, they, I, they transferred me at Castle Rock and I got the, the voicemail for the human resources coordinator oh. and Joyce Dasher. And I left her a message and said, Hey, I just got out here. I'm sure you get this all the time, but I'm looking for a job. And she called me back and I faxed her my resume and, and, and like two weeks after I moved out to Los Angeles, not knowing a soul in the world, I had my first day working on Seinfeld as a PA. And so it's it incredible. Was, it was, it was unbe- unbelievable. Like Surreal. So, much to, so much to the point that my best friend from college, I called him to tell him and he actually didn't believe me. He thought I was drunk and making up stories because I was, <laughs> I was too depressed about what was going on. Like, oh, no, I'm on the set of Seinfeld. This is happening. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, it was, and, and, and then I, as a PA, you do a ton of driving. So when right. you say, did I use my film education really on the show? Mainly I used my living education for the show. Cause a lot of it was like delivering scripts and doing errands and running stuff to stage. And so, you know, the first, you know, like 60% of my job was basically driving in my car, which helped me get familiar with the area and helped me really get over my, uh, any apprehension I had about driving Los Angeles quickly yeah. wore away because, yeah. you know, baptism by fire. Yeah. Yeah. I, people don't understand the traffic until they go to LA. Like we have yeah. bad traffic here in Seattle, but it's nothing compared to LA. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something else. And then <laughs> I got a guy that I know <clears throat> he's from India. And he goes, he goes, I don't know, he goes, he goes down to LA, he goes, that's not that bad of traffic. I'm like, yeah. are, you, are you kidding? He's like, he's like, dude, try going a mile and it takes you eight hours. He's like, yeah. people just leave their cars. Right. <laughs> they just yeah. get out and go to lunch and come back. <laughs> I was like, there okay. may be, there may be lanes, maybe not. Right. You know? So Seinfeld though, you, you, you worked what the, was it the final two years of the show or the, 
Yeah, two and a half years. So yeah. I started midway through season seven, and then I was a PA, and then I worked my way up to production coordinator by the last season, which yeah. is season nine. So I was there for the. What's it? What does a production coordinator do? Um. Well, let's see. A PA does everything. Whenever anybody asks me what a PA does, I say they do everything and anything people either don't want to do or don't have time to do themselves. I always thought they're like a gopher. Go for this, go for that. Yeah, it is kind of. Yeah. A production coordinator kind of oversees that. You kind of run the office. Yeah. But but Seinfeld was so big by that time that they had, like I had a coordinating producer that, that, that was above me. So you kind of, I kind of ran the office and coordinated like all the, the stuff that was going on, assisted my boss in terms of like getting ready for, you know, things that. It ended up being more than 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 some other shows at the time because Seinfeld was such a behemoth, not only in terms of its stature, but what they would do. Like most yeah. most sitcoms in that day, multi-camera sitcoms, they would, you know, they would write a script, they would uh, they would uh, block and rehearse for three days, maybe do a couple of pre-shoots on stage, and they would shoot in front of a studio audience and on the on the last day. With Seinfeld, like we were going on location, we were shooting, you know, on multiple stages, we were shooting multiple weeks. The the finale episode of its uh, the finale episode alone was a fourteen day shoot, just fourteen days of shooting. It was basically like shooting a movie. Oh God, that was such and a we, crazy we were on, episode. We, were on, we shot on the uh, on our stage. We we used two other stages for this one. We shot at the Van Nuys Airport. We shot on the Warner Brothers lot. We shot it not for that episode, but the one previous to that, the Puerto Rican Day episode, which only aired once, was the show that was shot prior to that, and that was eleven days. So we shot an eleven day show. Had like three days off, and then started a fourteen day show, and we shot. We were shooting all over the place, all over the place in the town. It was, it was, it was nuts. It was amazing and nuts. Well, and well what was it like that? Because la- that last episode, I remember, it was all over television. The hype of the last episode, all the secrecy, all the, you know, it was like that. It was, it was as a big a deal when Mash stopped. You know, yeah. but at yeah. the same time, it was it might not have pulled the ratings like Mash did. I don't think anything's really Mash what Mash really did. But at the same time, yeah, yeah, no, the hype really going good. into that last episode was tremendous. How did you guys feel working on that show and having that hype hitting you like that? Well, it was it was kind of like a big mini reunion because everybody came back for the show. Everybody was in it. You know, I mean, you know, every yeah. guest cast, the parents and the soup Nazi and, you know, uh, every, everybody and anybody, Terry Hatcher, you know, like all these people that had been on the show throughout the years came back for it. And so that was, that was really amazing. Um, the secrecy was something else. I thought it was a little overblown a little bit. I mean, not on their part, but just yeah. the notion of like, I mean, like, it's not like a loss where it's like, Oh, what's, you know, what's the Island kind of thing. But so I kind of was like, I, I, I didn't get that. Or even like a, a, a friends, like a Rachel and Ross will there, won't they in the end kind of thing. Like Seinfeld was never that kind of show. So it kind of surprised me that aspect of it. Right. But to go to your point about what I did as a production coordinator, my big thing was that my I had to do the seating chart for the people who actually got to sit in attendance for it. So like, how do you figure out who's more important? The executive at Warner Brothers in charge of the tel- all of Warner Brothers television and, and the executives at NBC or Jerry's cousin, you know? So like, yeah. And, and, then, and then, you know, people were trying to get more tickets and trying to get more people in. And the other thing I had to do was I had to get uh, everybody and their mother was coming out because they wanted stuff signed. And so and so and we did this uh, we did this gift bag and among the gift bag things was a signed script for everybody. So for all the crew members, everybody associated with the show. So there was about 250 scripts that had to get signed. And so my one of my jobs was I just had to 
go to Jerry and Julie and Michael and Jason in controlled manners at controlled times and try to psychologically and logistically figure out the best time to approach them and say, would you mind signing 25 scripts right now? Would you mind signing 50 right now? I left 50 oh in your God. dressing room. Can you just let me know when you're done with them or I'll just check at the end of the day and then I'll try not to you know, bother you with them. It's just something you know, they really want to get done before the thing. They were always really cool. I mean, they were always really cool about that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And I even was able to get uh, something for myself signed, which was pretty cool. So, you know, that is cool. At the end of the day. Oh. It was actually in the last episode. Very briefly. Were you really? That's yeah, kind of cool. I played, George, I played George Steinbrenner's valet. I come in to get the suitcase for him when he bolts out of the office to go to the trial. So <laughs> uh, my, my oldest daughter just watched the scene the other day for the first time and laughed hysterically. Oh, the that is her, awesome. Her dad. Yeah, I had a goatee back then. I was a, a spry young 20 something kid. You yeah, know? I think you and I are about the same age. So it's kind of funny. I, uh, yeah. I love that because I. <laughs> I was a huge Seinfeld fan. My, my favorite episode on that will always be the master of my own domain. It's such a brilliant episode. Yeah. Or master of your own domain or yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. But from there, you also worked on Euro trip, which is one of the funniest movies uh, that I loved was, did you have a good time on that one? Well, that was a little different because so when Seinfeld was ending up, so I'd been working in production, but I really yeah. wanted to write and, and, and production is a hellacious schedule and I really had no time to write. And so when the show was wrapping up, I basically had kind of a, a choice to make was I could either keep doing what I'm doing and stay on the production end, or I could try to transition to something else that I could get more on the creative side. Right. And at that time, David Mandel, who was one of the executive producers of Seinfeld, uh, he had a development deal at Disney uh, that was going to start when the show ended. And so he was looking for an assistant and I basically said, Hey, look, if I'd love to do it because I want to start writing more and, and this would work great for me and all that sort of stuff. So, um, my connection with Eurotrip was David Mandel and Jeff Schaefer and Alec Berg, three Seinfeld people were the ones who were the brain trust behind Eurotrip. Uh, so I was there for the development of it, but they shot it over in Prague, uh, yeah. over in Europe. And I was just having my first kid. Uh, my wife was pregnant and so I did not go. So, oh. So I wasn't as involved with Eurotrip on the actual production end. The, yeah. the, the setting up of it and the pre-production and all that sort of stuff, um, I was. I actually was more involved uh, being around for everything uh, for Clerks the Animated Series, which is another oh, cool. thing that David did while he was at Disney yeah. working with Kevin Smith. Uh, so that was – I was much more kind of around for kind of seeing that all come to fruition, which was really cool. But yeah, Eurotrip was this thing where um, – Funny enough, I actually met Jimmy Palmiotti at the world premiere of Eurotrip. That's where I first met him. Uh, him and Phil Noto, they sat like right in front of me and my wife. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, it was like one of my first uh, That's comic That's awesome. Encounters. Did you know yeah. who he was when you met him? I did. Yeah, yeah. I knew who they were. Uh, and they were they're really good friends with Dave. And, uh, uh, and, and this, that is before... That's really before I was working in comics at all. Like yeah. I didn't start working in comics till 2004. And I think Eurotrip was... I want to say 2001. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then when you got into comics, this is, this is a good segue. Uh, you got into, was it Marvel? Is that where you first started with X-Men Unlimited yeah. and Spider-Man yeah. Unlimited? And yeah. those yeah. are some big yeah, so titles for you to start right off the bat. That's cool. So it it's one of those weird things where the Seinfeld name kind of really helped me out sure. in, a very, in a very random way though. Yeah. Because what happens is, is, so someone says, someone knows I'm a writer, and then I say I worked on Seinfeld, and they automatically think, oh, he wrote on Seinfeld, which I did. <laughs> right. But, but that's kind of like the, the, the impetus. And I'm always very clear to, 
correct people. Like I right. don't ever try to present myself that I did anything I didn't. So back when this all happened, uh, Hollywood people like working in comics wasn't Hollywood cool yet. Like right. it was just starting. Iron to, Man hadn't come out. What? A, yeah. None of that. So Damon Lilinoff had just started writing. Uh, what was it? Wolverine and Hulk. Right? right. And that was like the first kind of Hollywood person to to write for it. And so what Marvel did was they had a liaison, this guy named Josh Ryan, whose whose job it was in LA to try to cultivate entertainment writers to try to write comic books. And he uh, was working in contact with a friend of mine, uh, a colleague of mine from Seinfeld, who was a writer and was working in animation named George Doty, and was trying to get him to pitch story ideas to Marvel. And George didn't care. Well, he didn't not he didn't love comics. He wasn't a comics person. He didn't know them. So he would call me up like every other week and be like, hey, they want me to pitch, you know, a Deathlock story. What's Deathlock? Well, who's this guy? So I, being a comic book reader from my childhood, yeah. would basically, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. And I would give him the 411. <laughs> I was his, I was his Wikipedia for all things Marvel Comics. That's awesome. And so finally, he just said, one day he's like, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to tell him I'm not interested because I just, this is not my thing. And I yeah. said, well, would you ask my name along? Cause I'd love to pitch to Marvel. And so he put me in contact with them. And then I started writing, talk to Josh and they were looking for short stories for an X-Men title, a Spider-Man title and an Avengers title. So I just started writing essentially 11 page spec scripts. Like I wrote a, an X-Men story. I wrote a Spider-Man story. I wrote a Avengers story. Um, and just kept submitting them and submitting them. And the first one I submitted ended up being the X-Men Unlimited One story about Halloween. Uh, I sold it uh, the week that my first daughter was born. And while my wife was in the oh, hospital, they said, amazing. oh, do you want to do a Spider-Man story for the Spider-Man Unlimited number two? And I said, sure. So my wife's in the hospital, staying overnight with the baby. And I come home at like one in the morning or 11 at night. And then I basically write the story for the, and, you know, till like four in the morning and go to bed and get up in the morning and go back and see my kids. So those two <laughs> stories kind of went bang, bang. Uh, uh, and then the, and the, again, serendipity being what it was, uh, they, they had come out in the following spring is when they came out and right when they came out, uh, uh, I'm actually friends from college with Jeff Johns and his relationship with Aspen and Michael Turner and Frank yeah. and Peter. Uh, they were looking for someone to come on board to help them out with Fathom, Dawn of War. And it just so happened that, you know, Jeff was able to recommend me and I was, I had two Marvel books out. So like, like, you know, for them it was yeah, like, little, oh, well, yeah. Yeah. So the pedigree is like, oh, he's working for Marvel. That's great. <laughs> so, and so, so the, you know, the fact that I worked in Seinfeld, even though I wasn't a writer helped kind of get me and my friend helped me kind of get in with Josh that helped me get my two stories sold at Marvel the fact that I signed Marvel, I sold a couple, had a couple of Marvel stories coming out right when uh, Aspen was looking for somebody, and Jeff recommended me. Like it just, and and we met, and it was a, a really good fit. And you know, that's kind of how that all got started. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a great story <laughs> to get where you're at. I mean, that's amazing. When you started working at Aspen MLT, and did, were you already well aware of Michael Turner's past work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I the guy was the guy was phenomenal. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, nothing could prepare me because I wasn't a big like convention goer as a yeah. reader. Like I read comics growing up, but I'd get my comic shop, shop my, you know, because growing up in Michigan, there's not really many shows in Michigan to really go to. Right. And where I was, there wasn't, there weren't any shows. Not then. In fact, the first, the first show I went to was a show I went to to unfortunately sell my collection or a lot of it in order to pay for my way to move out to California. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, 
so I knew I knew his presence, and I knew I knew obviously I knew how great his work was. I knew his right. presence. I knew he was really popular. But it wasn't until we actually went to like uh, I think our first Wizard World show together uh, that I really grasped like just how crazy popular he was like just beyond and that was also right when he started doing it was it was he had already finished the superman batman run with the supergirl story with jeff Loeb, and yeah. he was getting ready to start soul fire and Ugh. they did the uh they did the world war hulk covers and that just so the world war hulk cover i'll never forget we're at wonder world philly i think and there's a line of hundreds and hundreds of people waiting to get in yeah and and we go to the booth we pass them all we go to the booth and the 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 doors open and I I kid you not everybody goes from that line to just create a second line equally as long against the wall to get the the Turner book to get the World War Hulk book and yeah. and they were they were selling for twenty bucks which I was like at that time I'm like twenty dollars for a comic that's crazy uh, <laughs> but but and I'll never forget so Chris Rupps who runs Aspen Store works with Aspen for years and helps him at the booth sometimes and he also has a a store in Ohio, a uh, really good guy. Um, uh, I'll, he was standing up on a chair with like, with stacks of, with bills of twenties in one hand and comics in the other. And he was just basically like handing, giving, handing, giving, handing, like giving, taking, taking. It was like this, and I just couldn't believe it. Like it was just insane. And then Mike, you know, was signing all weekend. And, uh, and that, that's when I realized like, like that it was not like, not that he was just really, really super popular, but that he was like, like like this amazing superstar yeah. like like that that like you know, like okay like he really is like on that kind of McFarlane Sylvester Jim Lee kind of level at that time like he was actually that popular that he just you know he commanded just got it. that yeah he did yeah. you know yeah um yeah it, he died but, way too and young I th- and I think exactly and I think that part of the reason it was such a shock to me is that he did not carry himself that way at all. Like you would never know in a million years that he was as popular, had such the fan base that he did <laughs> yeah, by having dinner with them or walking through the halls with them or you yeah. know, just talking to him or whatever. Like he, his ego was, he knew what he wanted. He, he, he had his opinion on things, but he, there was not, any, there was, there was really no sense of a, of a strong ego with him at all. Like That's he awesome. was just this super chill, super relaxed, yeah. super nice. Just a guy. I find that Great. happens a lot with, in the comic book world. I, Cause we talk to a lot of creators and we, I love it. You know, 99% of them don't have an ego. They, it's just not there. They're, they're just happy to be doing what they love to do because the ones that hit that stratosphere, like Michael Turner did are the ones that I think, uh, just have a insane passion for the medium, you know? And they put so much of themselves into it that they're just happy to be doing what they're doing. Like they finally found that one thing that just makes them them. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and even, even more than that though, I'll say the thing that actually I think it adds a lot to it is personality. That, yeah. Because the honest truth is if you wait in line and you, to get something signed and the, and the person's a jerk or short or curt or just dismissive yep. or whatever, yep. like that's the last signature you're going to get from them. Yep. You know, I mean, that's it. And, and, and they'll and tell their Mike, friends. Yeah, Mike had this un, uncanny ability um, of making every person he was talking to while he was signing the book, even if it was just for a second or 10 seconds or 30 seconds, he made them feel like they were the only other person in the room with him. Like yeah, it was that's just cool. unremarkable. Like he would just he just gave them their, his attention. And even if it wasn't making eye contact, you could tell he was just kind of keyed in and and it was just, you know, he was super appreciative and and he never, you know, he I've never I never I never saw him turn down like 
a, you know, someone asking for a signature, even if it wasn't the signature time, if he couldn't do it, he couldn't do it. But like, right. you know, and he would just, you know, we would be breaking down the booths at the end of conventions, especially San Diego con and like everything would be broken down except for like one table with like a stack of like 400 bucks. And he would just be working through signing them while, while chaos around him is imploding the, you know, taking the banners down in the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's, I love hearing stories like that. Cause it just kind of puts you in perspective. It makes it even more sad that he, that he left us so early. Cause there's, there's, there has to be more people like that. You know what I mean? You know, who's, yeah, li- I, who's a lot like that I, is Ben Temple Smith. He's like, you go and you talk to him. He, he makes sure that you have his undivided attention. Yeah. God, I haven't seen Ben in years. Yeah. He lives Jeez. up here now. Oh, does he? Yeah. We see him all the time. And it's kind of funny. I, you know, cause we, <laughs> I chat with so many people. I don't get, you know, I don't get the, um, I don't get starstruck. You know what I mean? And except but, with me, yeah, exactly. I, I was so totally tongue tied. I, I took me 15 I minutes to get hear, on this I thing. I was scared. Voice, Henrik. I can hear it in your voice. It's very, there's a quiver. I, I was just super scared. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, every time I talk to Ben, I, I, I get flustered. <laughs> That's oh, the only really? way to put it. It was the accent. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is the accent. It's kind of funny. Uh, no. that, I mean, and that, and I think that's that's my favorite part of the business is the people you work with. I mean, yeah. so many people like I mean, I just I've been blessed over the years, and like all the people I worked with have you know for the most part, everybody's been super cool from artists and colorists and letters and editors and you know everybody up and down. That's the awesome. Chain. Like um, you know, it's just been uh, I think that's 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 what makes it the most fun for me. I think um, and the fans too. You know, like people just you know they dig the stories and and whatnot, and it's just it's just a fun and it's and it's. Even though comics is big in the sense of like the movies and all that, yeah. the comic book is still kind of its own little small sphere, yep. which is a good it's a good and bad thing. Yeah. It's a bad thing that it, wish it would be more popular and the sales would reflect what's going on in the movies because it'd be great if, if, you know, if Avengers makes a billion dollars that the comic book can make, you know, a tenth of that would be, you know, a half of that or a quarter of that would be nice. would be lovely. Um, but, but I think just seeing that people only – People only stick in it because they really like to do it. Like there was a period where, when Hollywood got really ingrained in it, and and they've kind of taken you know the, the celebrities kind of taken over some of the conventions. But in terms of like, there was this period of time where every every Hollywood writer thought, "I'll just do a comic book." Yeah. And 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 I got hit up like because I you know I knew a lot of people out in L.A. and like. Like I was, I would, you know, all of any writer I knew either in TV or film would be like, Hey, can I just pick your brain real quick? And they'd want to talk to me about doing comic books. And I would just tell them, well, this is this. And, you know, I'd kind of give them the 411 and, and sure. about how, how to do it in the process of it. And, you know, and, and, and it's harder than the thing. Nine, nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, they were dusting off a screenplay that hadn't sold that they wrote five years ago. and going to try to do it as a movie, you right. know, cause, or try to do a comic book. Cause they thought that that was, you know, another way to go, which, right. Which worked sometimes, but if your heart's not in it, your heart's not in it, you yeah. know. And it's you just, gotta have you gotta have a passion because writing a comic book, writing a good comic book, is not easy. There's a, there's a lot of process, and you gotta have a good team. Unless you're unless you're you know one of the rare guys that can draw, pencil, ink, color, letter, uh, and write. There's just right. they're few and far between. There's not a lot of them out there that do all of it. And or if you can just write a check and say, sure, Jock, please, here's the check. Just right. write draw my book. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And if you're getting Jock, you're going to be paying I, out. <laughs> I, I just don't have that money, but I did. I tell you. I keep doing all my stuff. <laughs> but you're, you're still producing. I mean, 
you guys did some stuff in, in 2013 on the 10-year anniversary. You guys, I, I, I was watching an interview with you, and you talked about trying to, to create new number ones back then. Yeah. And that yep. was a cool thing. And you did one with uh, a book called Journey. And I'm kind of curious what happened, how to go. Uh, are we going to see her back? Uh, there's definitely another volume that I want to do. It's just, I mean, look, I mean, the, the short answer is giving what's going on in the state of the world today. Yeah. Like everything's just up in the air, unfortunately. Like, you know, everything's kind of, we're, I think everybody's just kind of in a holding pattern waiting to see how the new dynamic and paradigm like kind of shakes itself out like what the market can do and what people are going to be looking for and you know how much space they can really uh have for in for 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 indie books you know i mean uh um journey was great so when we did the 10 for 10 uh frank wanted to do uh five returning series and five new series and when we started talking about something for me to do i really tried to there were two things i wanted to do one is at the outset, the attitude was let's do bo- let's do books that that Mike would have loved us to do, like the books that were in his wheelhouse, that yeah. things that he would have gotten excited about. And so right then, I knew like okay, we want to do something big and something kind of bold. And 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 I love like you know I love Lord of the Rings and I like Frank I love Frank Frazetta and Flash Gordon yeah. and John Carter Amar. Hitting all my buttons, all, you know, man. Yeah. yeah, like all that all that stuff I grew up loving. You know, Big Trouble in Little China, like just mm-hmm. just. Just all that stuff, and and so Journey was kind of the kind of the the love child of all that. Everything I love in fantasy, I just kind of poured into that book, um, and I'm really proud of it. It came together very well. We did a first uh, volume with Paula Pantaleno, uh, V. Ken Marion, who's great, and I worked with on a few other projects. He did the second volume, yeah, um, um, and then we did a third volume uh, with uh, Santa Maria, and uh, it's uh, it's definitely. For me, journey is, and it's a play on the title, but it's the journey is the destination. And so for me, I even though the first and third volume kind of bookend like a certain story for Ara, the main protagonist, who's this kind of, for those of you who haven't read Journey, it's kind of a, a Wonder Woman-esque kind of warrior um, princess who's, 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 who's half genie or djinn. And I always wanted to set it up so it could exist like, like Conan, basically. Like yeah. The thing I love about Conan is that you just throw them in these stories and it's, it's not necessarily about like an arc of what's going to happen next from a storyline. It's more just like it's the adventures of Conan, you right, know, and it's just right. these crazy adventures, in crazy places. And it's about the world who discovers it around him. Yeah. And yeah. And so that's, that's how I set up journey. So there's, there's the, 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 you know, the, the door is wide open for more stuff. Uh, we've already talked about a third volume. I have an idea for a third volume. Um, it's just right now for Aspen, with everything that's going on, and they've partnered up with this entertainment company called Mythos to develop Fathom and Soulfire initially yeah. um, for movies, for animated features. Oh, that'd be and, interesting. Yeah, so th- what they're doing is, it's, it's really great. So they started this before Spider-Man, uh, Into the Spider-Verse came out. Yeah. But Into the Spider-Verse provided, A, proof of concept that a movie of, with that sensibility in terms of like going after that audience would yeah. work. But more importantly, just like it just hit the wheelhouse, and it showed them that it would make money and it could be, it could be, you know, like, and it would pr- it provided a great uh, light post for them to say this is kind of like what they're talking about because they don't want to try to recreate the Marvel magic of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because that's, you know, that's impossible to kind of replicate. I think um, to that extent. So what they want to do is they want to do these what they call all age an- action animation movies, which is high in animation, tailor made to 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 be in the model of Turner's original Mike's original art. 
So the style is is matching his look and feel, which I think is fantastic, and it's yeah. going to make the projects amazing. So from a comic standpoint, a lot of the focus right now for Aspen publishing wise is focused on uh, focusing on Fathom and Soulfire. So we're working on another volume of Soulfire right now, which unfortunately was put on hold during all this the 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 stay in shelter and the pandemic stuff yeah. going on. We're kind of in a holding pattern on that right now. Um, but that so that's kind of their focus right now. But 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 I definitely have to do more journey. And then last year. I did a book called Artifact One with Romina Morelli and Vince Fernandez, and I created it. And uh, we'd love to do another volume of that. That sounds cool. Um, I just don't know. I don't know when it's going to be on the docket. So, um, you know, it's kind of a, a wait and see, and just kind of hope for the best and kind of keep plugging forward. <clears throat> did you have a? You had another one, uh, New Way. New Way, yeah. And that yep. was late last year too, right? Yep. Yeah. Last year I had a lot. Last year was a big year. Uh, Artifact One and New Way and the New Journey, and I did So Far. So I did a lot with Aspen. Uh, it was a it was a busy year for me uh, a year and a half ago, uh, which is great. Uh, New Way was fantastic. So I was working with uh, uh, Yun Yan Song and Dina Wu, and they have a ZMX Entertainment. Yeah. Uh, actually, based up in San Francisco, and we met at several conventions, and we were just talking, and they wanted to do something creative, and and so they were talking to me about it, and. And we started just working together and just seeing, you know, what they kind of wanted to do. And, and, uh, we came up with this idea together and, and then, uh, I was able to arrange this killer team of Alex Conant and John Starr. Um, uh, uh, we just had John, oh, we had Jason Starr. Huh? Well, I thought we just had John Starr on, but I think it was Jason Starr. Yeah, no, John Starr. Yeah. Uh, so, and it was great. The, be- the It's one of the best looking books I think I've worked on. I love Alex's awesome. art. I've worked on him on a bunch of stuff. We did Soul Fire together. Uh, we did Minefield together, um, and and he's just a, tr- a tremendous, tremendous talent. Um, I've known him since he was a teenager. He he would come to the to the conventions with his dad when he was like 14, 15 years old because uh, they were huge fans of Mike's, and we got to know them as friends, and then he went to the Kubert School and did great there, did a little bit of DC work, and then he came with Aspen for a while, and then he's gone on and done other stuff. Uh, That's awesome. There. But you, uh, but speaking of DC, you've done quite a bit for DC. I mean, you pull up your the amount of books you've written. Uh, it's a crazy amount. I mean, from Batman to Captain Adam to, you know, G.I. Combat. Or was it? Yeah. Green Arrow. And Green Arrow. Yeah. yeah. Justice League, yeah. Men of War. Yep. yep. It just goes on and on and on. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting time. I uh, I I enjoyed I enjoyed all of it, obviously, overall. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, I was there for the transition from the regular DCU to the new 52, which was, a uh, which was, a uh, uh, a little bit of a bumpy road. Was it? Uh, creatively, creatively speaking, it was hard. Uh, I was really fortunate to be able to work with Dan Jurgens going on the new 52 with Green Arrow, but tonally the book shifted for me so much that it just didn't resonate with me as much. And it so didn't. I didn't, stick, didn't stick with it as long as, as I, as I, uh, could have, but what, what um, is, I think what is the change that that impacted you the most? Do you think is it because it, it felt like they they were still really go- going with the Mike Grell kind of feel of Green Arrow? And that's, then, that, that, that's what I was trying to do with yeah. the brightest day. That's 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 what I see. That's the stuff, and that and in like in like Green Arrow Year One, like Andy and Jocks and uh, Green Arrow Year One, but but the Grell stuff specifically. And so when I was actually prepping to do the book uh, initially and take over for Green Arrow. I, I I went and reread a bunch of those that I had, got a bunch that I didn't have, and basically bought all the other stuff, Longbow Hunters. Yeah. But I was a huge fan of uh, The Question growing up. Oh. And so I actually read that a lot as well because it was it was Denny O'Neill who did a lot of Green Arrow stuff too. And and I and I just I 
the, the again the tone just got me yeah uh got me in that regard and so that's what i was trying to do and when it switched to new 52 there was a decision to try to switch the tone of it and make it a, a lot lighter and and they wanted to make him more of like a tony stark kind of guy with like you know the billionaire persona yeah. and he had a team with them and whatnot and it just it 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 could work and it did work for them it just didn't work for me and i right. think i think had i come on just to do that i might have been able to do it but trying to i had to basically erase the character as i knew it to a certain extent and things i had done there were things in the brightest day stuff that i had seeds i'd planted storylines that i was going to do that i was leading up to and and it just all got jettisoned be, yeah and truth be told it was also kind of like a again i i i don't I don't begrudge DC yeah. at all because they're ultimately like, look, they're their properties. I'm, I'm hired to do a job. And if right. I don't want to do the job, I don't do the job. And that's kind of a, ultimately what I decided was I was like, look, this right. isn't working for me. But you're I'm creative, man. That's hard. That's a hard line to stay on when you're somebody who puts so much passion and work into something and you're creating, like you said, you're planted seeds. You had, you had a vision going on and then they come in and they, uh, for lack of a better word, stomp on it for you know for a little bit to to create this new thing. Which you're right, right, they have every right to do that. It's their characters, but fuck, man, I could I could I could I, I could understand the hurt from yeah. that. And the and the other thing is, it was a little bit like uh, it was a little bit like the the frog in the in the boiling pot of water, right? Yeah. Where initially, like. You know, like turning up we little by little. We didn't, we, didn't get a, we didn't get a whiff of it. We didn't give a whiff of that. There was a quote new 52 coming. It was, it was, right. they want this month's book to be super accessible, like a new number one. We're not going to make it a new number one, but we want it like a new number one because we want to try to do this reset so that we can really promote it for like, this is a great jumping on point for an, all new readers. Oh so we definitely God. want a new story arc starting. And we want it to be very new reader friendly. Right. And I was like, okay, well that I can get. All right. And then it was like, they're all going to be new number ones. And I'm like, okay, all right. Well, I mean, I, we just relaunched with Brightest Day, so we're only going to have like 12 issues. We're going to reset it again. But I, uh, whatever. I mean, I get, I get if you're trying to do this line-wide restart and, you know, and all that stuff. And then it started coming out what was really going on. And then it yeah. started coming out. And then the problem, I think, was doing a line-wide launch of 52 books and relaunching your whole universe. I think it exposes an inherent... Uh, I don't want to say problem, but uh, 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 just a fact of superhero comics yeah. is that a lot of them are derivative of other comics. Sure. And Green Arrow is Green Arrow, but it's derivative of Batman to a certain extent. Right. And so once you have five or six books like this, if you're relaunching Green Arrow and Detective and Batman and a, a, a Nightwing book and, you know, and a Deathstroke book and, and you know, and you, there were like seven or eight books that tonally like if you want to say like oh like Marvel, the same like street level right yeah like you know you know punisher daredevil moon knight you could kind of maybe do but if you're doing that for all these books and you're trying to hit a same feel they end up they can end up like feeling very, very similar and yeah. so yeah so again going back for me though like it was we just wanted to so like the pieces were kind of changed and taken away in increments and that and that and that um that made it harder, but also it made it harder for me to see like, like had I known what they wanted and what the new book was going to be, I may have just said, you know what, maybe I should just do something different and not yeah. do, not be the guy that carries over on Green Arrow. That's so, so. interesting. That's so interesting because New Fifty Two, you know, I don't know, they, you get they do all these crossover events, 
And we talked to Tom Brevert, Brevort of Marvel. He's the executive editor over there. And he was talking about when they do these big crossover events, they build them up every year. And, you know, they'll have an idea and they'll go to the creative team of that book. And then they'll say, okay, this is what we want to do. This is what's happening. Do you want to be a part of it? And they don't force any books to be a part of it if they don't want to. But then, <laughs> but then he was a wonderful man. At the same time, he goes, but sometimes we do force them. <laughs> right, right, right. So I can imagine you were like sitting there working away, doing your stuff. And then they come up, hey, we want to make it more accessible. Uh, okay. What does that mean? Well, we make it like a new number one. Nah, actually, it's going to be a new number one. <laughs> yeah. And actually, we're going to de-age him. And his, his, you know, and I, and I just, and I just gotten done. Like I had exposed Green Arrow, uh, Oliver Queen's identity. Yeah. He went on trial. He was banished from the city. He was living in the forest, like all these sort of things. So his life was completely different. He didn't have his company anymore. Um, and uh, and so there's actually in the in the in the in the last in the ending of the first issue of Brightest Day, Green Arrow. There's actually a, like a teaser image of Green Arrow with shadowed characters in the background of like the quote people that he's going to have to rely on for what's coming his way. Yeah. And it was a tease for future characters that were going to come into the book. One of them's got a sword and it's the Galahad Knight that I actually was able to put in. One of them's got a hat and it's question. I wanted to bring question to the book because I oh, wanted, really wanted rad. to do question. Yeah. Like I really wanted to do that. Yeah. And, uh, we never, you know, we never got there and I had a, I had a, and for me, I think that part of green arrow's dilemma is his rogues gallery isn't quite as developed as other rogues gallery. And so that right. was one of the things I wanted to do was to create a new rogues gallery for him. And so I had this really great, what I thought was great backstory for what a black arrow was going to be that would really be connected to him and oh, connected cool. to the, the connected to the queen, the one that it, the villain I introduced that took over the company and it was all tied together and it was all going to, you know, that was, and I had a, um, uh, I, in order to play up the Robin hood theme, there was going to be kind of a share of Nottingham, kind of a, uh, super Patriot slash captain America type guy who was like the, the authority figure, the costume I authority figure in the town who is his main thing is to get green arrow and he's not a villain, but he's not really a hero because you know, he's, he's trying to do the right thing, but yet his, the guy that's in his sight is green arrow. And so he has to kind of, so this, that kind of, and so there's just a lot of stuff I wanted to do. And I love green arrow. I love uh, Oliver. That sounds he's awesome though, man. I, I, I wish they would just let you give you the freedom to do it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I, it's, it's funny. Like I, I'm not like, I will fight for what I believe in and yeah. I will argue my point. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to be an asshole about it. Right. And, 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 and I feel like sometimes that the people who get to stick to what they want to do are either the people who just refuse to listen and are just obstinate about it. Right. And for whatever reason, they get to stick with the book. Or they're at a certain point in their career where, where they're more valuable to them and they don't want to piss them off to have them leave a book. And I was not, and I'm, I'm fully, you know, uh, uh, comfortable in my own ego to know that i was not of that tier where if i said well i'm not gonna do green arrow they're gonna be like oh well, we can't leave green arrow what will the fans think like right. i mean i'm sure i had people enjoy the book but i i know where i know where i was and i know the part i was playing i was still building my presence at dc with my work on green arrow and teen titans i thought helped give me a presence there that i wanted to carry through and then the new 52 kind of changed a lot of that like i uh um like i didn't i didn't love leaving Teen Titans. That was that was yeah. hard to give up. Nick and I were having a great time on it. Um, they did let us finish the storyline. Yeah, they gave us the next shoe, 
and let us hit issue 100, which was great. And the 100th issue was an oversized. So a five or six issue storyline that we had planned, we had to kind of truncate down into the three, like two and a half issues. Ooh. So, yeah. So How do you um, even do that? I, um, you, there's, uh, there's a big cut that just kind of happens out. Like the um, Superboy Prime, Prime came back and he was going to amass this team to go after and try to wipe out the Teen Titans. And so the part that was going to be used to kind of build that team and to really give some good character development got sideswiped so that you essentially just have a end of an issue where they just all kind of show up, which was the only thing we could really do in order to have the beats. And I had like stuff that I wanted to do with, with Bart and with, I mean, you know, that, that happens. I mean, you're always going to have, you're going to have stuff that happens. So, I mean, no, but then, you know, um, Captain Adam on the new 52 was one of the things I'm most proud of. I've ever done at DC working with Freddie Williams and our editor, Rachel Gluckstern. Like, I mean, that was, we got to do, it, it didn't, it didn't, connect enough to stick around unfortunately long enough but yeah like i love that book and it's a science fiction book it's not even a superhero book i always tell it's just it's a very different type of story and 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 it's got a the long payoff we got to do everything we wanted to do we got to end it on our terms which was nice so when, when you're writing um, a book because you, you're a fan of the questions so i would imagine that you love like so, a little bit of sci-fi a little bit of that sleuth style storytelling and what else? So are you like, because everything I, that know, I've seen, you, ha- you haven't done like a horror or anything like, or supernatural. I mean, would you love to write like a Doctor Strange or a Doctor I Fate? Would actually, I'd actually like to do, I'd like to do Doctor Strange. Um, there's actually something I'm working on now that's still in its very early incubator stages yeah. that will touch on a lot of different things, but will nice. have like a magical element to it. Um, we actually did just start to introduce more of a, if for lack of a better word, like a little bit of a spell culture in Soulfire, which we never really had kind of this more spell stuff and dealing with other dimensional stuff. And and actually the last volume and moving forward, like we'll actually touch on that a little more. And yeah. so that, that was fun. Yeah. But, but I would love to, I would love to do Dr. Strange book. Oh, I, cool. I, I actually, I was just going to go. Cause again, I sold some of my old comics when I was moving out to LA, but there's some old star, uh, Dr. Strange comics. I'd love to get to get I, back. I was, I love Dr. Strange. I, I was a huge Dr. Fate fan when I was a kid. Oh yeah. And it's just so weird because nobody really was into him. And I was like, this guy is amazing. This is awesome. And I just yeah. love the whole concept of the, of the, of the helmet and the helm and everything. And now I'm older. I'm like, why don't they ever bring in the Cthulhu mythos into Dr. Fate? Oh, well, that'd be great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And have him be like, he could either be a harbinger of, of Cthulhu or they could have it where he's, defending against cthulhu and it's just like it's all right there <laughs> yeah i feel like i feel like sometimes comic books get caught in the stage of like it's either going to be a superhero book or it's going to be a quote weird book you know like it's either going to yeah, be yeah. avengers or x-men or it's going to be sandman you yeah. know and you it's really hard to really try to find the places in between it's actually one of the reasons why i actually enjoy when I get a chance to work with characters that aren't quite as popular, because when characters aren't as popular, you can do more with them. Right. They'll let you mess with, you know, they'd let you mess with certain characters more like than they would other ones. Like they're not going to let you let you mess with Batman as much as they'll let you mess with the question. Right. I actually have, right. I had really, I have a really good, I had a really good question story. I tried pitching my first, uh, to the horror notion. My first DC work was, uh, Dr. Midnight was a two issue story in JSA oh, nice. class, which was a horror story which was where there was like a vampire story with Dr. with Dr. Midnight. Um, I'll have to check it out. And, uh, yeah, it's really, uh, Alex Sanchez did the art on it. Uh, it's really kind of cool. It was in JSA Classified 23 and 24. It was a two-parter. Yeah. Uh, 
but I, and I, cause I, cause I actually initially, my first stuff in DC, I actually pitched a Dr. Midnight series and they were like, well, we don't want a Dr. Midnight series, but um, they were looking for a doctor, uh, you know, a shorter, they asked if I'd be interested in doing a two-parter for JSA classified. And that was like my first kind of, um, uh, kind of like foray into the DC world. Yeah. Proper. That's cool. Yeah. But here later on, 2017, 2016, I guess, you started doing stuff with Robot Chicken. Yeah. Dude, uh, how did that yeah, happen? That, that was, you know, I mean, part of it's being out here. I mean, but I was working at DC at the time, and and, and I knew Max Seinreich. Uh, I'd met him several times socially yeah. and whatnot. You know, you kind of swim in certain circles. And um, they were, I guess they were talking about, you know, people to reach out for because they were doing the DC special one. And they wondered if I would be interested in doing it. And I was like, of course I'd be interested in doing it. Why wouldn't I? And so um, I we did the DC special with them. And then they brought me on. And the way they do their seasons is they do them in cycles. So they'll have a writing staff. The regular all-time producers like Matt and Seth and, and uh, Tom and Tom and, and whatnot. And, uh, and then they bring in like different writers for different cycles. So you'd come in for, I think, like three episodes or whatever. And so I did one of the cycles with him for the season, and then I did uh, the Walking Dead special with him too. Yeah, that's uh, the one. Are you? Did you write that one out? Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, so in the, it was a little bit of a flavor of what I imagine it must be like to work on Saturday Night Live, where yeah. you basically write all these pitches. The pitches then get voted on and get approved, and then once the pitch is approved, you write it and do it in the script. And then the script is then chopped down because the script's always too long. And so then they figure out what they can really fit in and what they can do. So there's like, there's several elimination processes. This is kind of like being on American Idol. Um, and, and I remember, I'll never forget, like working on the DC special, the first one, I was just like, this is my first time doing it. And yeah. I, you know, I've never written comedy professionally. I've written comedy spec scripts and I think I'm kind of funny at times if I need to be and yeah. what, um, and I enjoyed it. Um, I was like, if I can just get one sketch in the show, that's all I want, just one. And I got like more. I got like three. I got like th- like two sketches and a joke. Like so, which was great. Um, and uh, so I was like, that was I was on Klondike. Uh, but for the Walking Dead one, the Walking Dead one, uh, I had four sketches that made it to the script phase, and then all of them got axed except for one short blip. Oh, in, and so I only literally have like one. There's I worked there for like two, three weeks on it. And I got like, at the end of the day, there's like a five or 10 second sketch clip in the show. That is, I'm like, yeah, I did that. And that's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, you know, but so it's really it's, written by committee. It, well, yes and no. I mean, cause people write their own sketches and it's yeah. just a matter of what you say. And then you do punch it up and talk about if you want to try to make it better. And we try to like, try to see if we can find a funnier line for this or a funnier line for that. And then when they're in the, doing the voicing, they do all sorts of other stuff too. But um, uh, I, it, it was a it was a great experience. They're great guys to work with. I, they're so much fun, and it's just such a great atmosphere. And, and Matt and Seth, in particular, like are just super cool. And Matt's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, uh, just hands down in this entire business. Like he is just cool. definitely one of the guys in it. And and but I will say that like you kind of go through this evolution of of they don't like any of your jokes at first, and you yeah. walk out think like oh my god they think I'm they think I'm terrible like I I'm suck. terrible. This guy. It's, you know, I've, I suck. I'm not funny. That's yeah. just it. And then you get to the point where you're like, oh, no, this is funny. They just, not that they're idiots, but they just, get the, they just don't think it's funny. And it's yeah. humor. It's so subjective on what's funny. Like, there's a, there's a DC sketch that I argued, like, 
more than I probably should have try to get it in the show. Like I kept bringing it up as my back to my go-to of like, well, you know, you can always put this sketch back in. And, uh, uh, it was, um, so it was for the DC special and it was Batman's riding around with bizarro Superman <laughs> and bizarro Superman is basically saying bizarro hungry. No, bizarro want burrito, bizarro want burrito. And Batman just screams at him and said, I don't know what the opposite of a burrito is. And that's the joke is cause he's always talking opposite. And we got, and everybody laughed. And then we got in this debate about like, well, wouldn't he really say it like this? Wouldn't he say burrito, no want burrito. Right. And then it came this, like, then it became a thing about like the, the, the actual kind of like philosophy of, of bizarre Superman in this tangent conversation. And they ended up not voting for it and not getting it. In. And to this day, I was oh, like, God, that was such a, that was so like my funny. favorite thing I contributed. And it didn't make it really but, I love this you, bit. Why did you use it? Why did, why did you use it? You know, you kill your babies, right? That's how they say about writing, right? You kill your babies. <laughs> yeah. So, one of those. Oh, man. Well, JT, we've made it to about 45 minutes already. Crazy. I know. It goes quick. It does go quick. It does go quick. And and really, you and I chatted for about 15 minutes before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There'll be all a bunch of green bush bloopers on the blooper reel. For right. On the after. Right. After, the after. Yeah. <laughs> Rural Michigan 101. Rural Michigan 101 and the trials and tribulations thereof. I love it. So what do you got going on? Anything new that you can talk about yet or? Not really. Nothing I can really talk about. Uh, I've got, you know, this, this has been a really, like we said, this has been a really weird time. And, and, and so, uh, there's definitely more soul fire coming that I'm working on. We're just kind of in a holding pattern on that. Uh, there's more journey talked about and more artifact one, but I just don't know when that's going to come. I have, I ordered journey volume one today, just so you know, because I didn't know of that book until I started looking you up, you know what I mean? To get an idea of who you are and what you, and what you've done. And you had this great, uh, YouTube video and you were just, I mean, the guy that was, that was interviewing you, I don't, I don't, you know, he, he just asked what was going on. It was during that 10 for 10. Okay. And you right, st- right. and you brought it up and the way you talked about it, I was like, Oh, this guy really loves what he's doing. I want to check it out. And then I looked it up. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna read that. <laughs> yeah, let me know let me know what you think. It's, yeah. it's, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. Like like I said, it's really high fantasy stuff. Um, well that's what I liked about first- it. And the fact that you compared it to Conan now, I was like, Okay, yeah. now now that that's it. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, because I was you know, I was a kid when Conan came out when I watched it when I was too young to watch it. So yep, for me, me like too. I grew up watching Conan, Excalibur, the yep. original Clash of the Titans, all yep. that sort of stuff. Dude, I watched in, E.T., you know, so, snuck uh, out of E.T. at the end and, wa- and walked across the, the, the hallway and snuck into um, Clash of the Titans. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Conan and Clash of the Titans, I saw at the drive-in, actually. We went for Clash of the Titans, and we were supposed to, quote, be asleep in the back so my aunt and uncle could watch Conan, and I got I just watched it. No way. Um, How could you sleep through great. that? I love that. Movie. Um, I still watch. No, that yeah. Movie. So I, 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 yeah. I hope you like it. Yeah. Um, and then I've got, I've got a few other things I'm working on. Um, uh, just, I'm just not talking about them yet. I'm, yeah. I get very like, uh, like it's funny. Like sometimes, like I, I, I do some novel writing, and like when I wrote my first book, like I didn't tell anybody I was writing it, and I basically just, I set it down on the table in front of my wife and said, like, well, so I wrote this. Would you read it? <laughs> you know, that was like she didn't even know I was working on anything like that. You know. Oh, that's so, awesome. I wish I, I can't keep my mouth shut long enough to do anything like that. I always say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to get that home loan, not even say anything until I have it. You know what I mean? Right. 
but you right. can't. You're like, oh my god. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's it makes it hard at times because you want to talk about stuff. Yeah. And it's all the stuff that's through your head, but but I also find that like like being a storyteller to someone orally, it kind of it takes some of the energy away because I've I've told the story, you know. Yeah. And so for me, like the comic or the book or the script becomes like the way that I communicate and, and share that story with somebody else. And so if I, if I sit around at a bar and tell the story essentially and hash it all out, yeah. that can kind of, kind of, it, it kind of clips my wheels. I'm also very weird in that. And I, I don't know of many other writers that are like this, but I have this problem sometimes where if I write something, it happened. And so I can't undo it. So if I'm working on a story and I kill a character off, like in my mind that happens. So it's really hard for me to reverse engineer and say, well, they don't have to be dead because I could easily just go back and change this part of the story. Right. But it's hard for me to do that because it's almost like once I put pen to paper and I've, I've, I've stated it, like it becomes reality to me and it's, it's harder for me to do it. So it makes me work a, a little slower when I'm creating new things because it's harder for me to do two paradigm shifts because I can't just, I can't just pull things out as easy as some other writers I know can do yeah. and just kind of re, when, re, you, re when you have an idea for a story, what germinates first, the character or the idea of the story itself? Um, I think it, it depends. Yeah. Uh, I love world building, which is one of my favorite things about it. And so sometimes I will, uh, a lot of times it starts with a world. But when I do have a character um, and then building the world around it, like with 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 Ara and Journey, like the idea of doing high fantasy was all I had figured out. Right. And then I figured out I wanted to do this journey about this half genie warrior who was on this epic quest to find her mother. Right. And so so that kind of came and then everything kind of built up from there. Like, what's this world like? And then how much of like the. Arabian kind of genie mythology and kind of vibe and flair do we really want to put in it and what right. we want to go for and you know is this earth or is this another planet like that kind of thing and and so so that kind of goes and then but this there's a story I'm working on right now that I'm I started with one character and it was I started with a story that I had in mind and then it evolved into this the same kind of story but in a different realm and then the world started blowing up and getting bigger and bigger. And so then once you get to that point, you see like what elements to the world you can explore. Or, and it's almost like you're trying to, you're looking at a planet from the outside and you're right. trying to figure out where do you plant your flag? Like, where do you want to enter into this world from? And where do you want to do? And that's always, that's always, that's always can be, it's exciting, but it can always be kind of tricky, you know, to try to figure the best. And then in the same sense of, of with this story I'm working on, like, so if there's multiple characters you can go with, like, which is the best character to start with? Which is the best character that's going to be the most fleshed out, that's going to have the best resonance with readers, that's going to really help showcase the world that you're trying to convey um, and, and tell the kind of story you're trying to convey because different characters are going to have different kinds of stories, you yeah. know? And so, you know, like if you're writing an Avengers book, you know, a vision story, a vision centric story is going to be way different than a Captain America centric story, which is going to be way different than a Hercules centric story. Right. You know, right, right. As they should be, you know, and all of them can be great and wonderful and, and really kind of paint that picture. But it's just like, you know, when you're starting from scratch, like I always thought it was easier when people talk about like the best books, you know, best comic books or best stories. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, it's hard to write a great Batman story or a great Spider-Man story or a great whatever story, but there's a shorthand 
you're 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 going with an existing character and so there's so much built into it that you can just take for granted that 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 you don't have to worry about right there's a there's a certain familiarity with it that's kind of ingrained within the story so you can kind of like you can kind of just jump in right away whereas when you're doing a new character in a new world you know you really got to think a lot more about trying to find trying to crack the character on who it is because we all grew up reading spider-man and and the question and green arrow and so we all have ideas about who they are like if you were going to write a spider-man story like you have your own version of what peter parker means to you and what kind of story you would tell and what kind of angle you'd want to take from it you know and whether or not you focus on him with mj or him as the I always love the fact that you had this kid who was a photographer who was broke and wanted to make money. And the only yeah. way he could make money was to put a camera up on the corner of a building and put himself in, 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 in life-threatening positions with crazed supervillains <laughs> in order to make money on the pictures he could sell. Like, that's crazy. It's kind of like a violent whore in a way. You know? right. <laughs> terrible, though. That's why I'll ne- they'll never let me write Spider-Man again because I just called that a violent whore. Uh, but, um, Maybe that's so, the best thing about it. Yeah. but uh, So... Uh, so yeah, so for me, I get I and, and and sometimes I get caught up in the world building a little too much, and yeah. it, it kind of and then I have to kind of pull myself back and, and and center it again around the character because the worlds are great and the worlds are awesome and the worlds to me are kind of like special effects like they're a great part of it they're an important part of the story but if that's your focus then you're not going to really have much of a connection with an audience or with a reader because it's going to be the characters that they're going to resonate with more so than just like a concept or a world right always right. The characters always. are always the ones that resonate with people. That's how they identify. That's how they feel like they're a part of it because they feel like they're a part of that person. Yep. Yep. They see themselves in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, JT, man, I love talking with you. This is, this is awesome. I, I want you to come on cool. again if I could, if I can convince you to do that. And yeah, yeah, when you I have things coming great. out, especially things you can talk about, please come on. Let's let's promote. Let's promote together and and, sure. and get your stuff out there because, uh, yeah, I would love to do that. We have a, a pretty cool website called spoilerverse.com, and we get a lot of we get a lot we generate a lot of tra- traffic on the website. We cool. we're we're not the best at the social media stuff because um, I don't know. I just I hate getting on Twitter and doing all that, you know. Well, you also feel like you don't want to, like, I get the same way where I don't want to promote, like, just spend all my time on, people don't follow you on Twitter just so you can just promote your stuff. Yeah, exactly, there. exactly. They want to get to know who you are and see yeah, what you're like. Yeah, and we just, so, but everything that comes out of the uh, the website does really, really well. And we have Great. multiple social media stuff. And then, of course, uh, the podcast does really well. And we're starting to do, we do video. And so... Please. Well, this is great. I use really us, use this. us. This was a lot of fun. So, cool. I, any, I, yeah, anytime when I have something to talk about or if there's, you know, something else you guys are doing, just let me know. So, well, you know uh, what I'm doing in July and, and we can do things similar to this in July. You know who, uh, you know, Kelly Jones, mm-hmm. the, the artist he's yep. coming on and him and I are reviewing and talking about the importance of the universal monster movies uh, in pop culture. Oh, cool. So we're going to talk about Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Wolfman, and the uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. So That's I'm sweet. super excited to do that one. That's going to yeah, be a lot especially of fun. Especially have him on it, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, he's just such, he's so good at the horror stuff, man. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, he's good at yeah. everything he does. But the horror stuff specifically is just, that's because that's, when you talk to him, that's his love. Yeah. You know. That's great. That sounds cool. Yeah. So we can do something similar. Not that specifically, but I mean, you know, I'd love to have you back on just to talk about stuff because uh, you've been and done a lot in multiple industries now and so it'd be really fun to tweak your brain on on different things so 
Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. We'll make it work. We'll make it happen. This would be great. Cool, man. All right. Thanks, JT. Thank you. Welcome back. That was fun. <laughs> Especially the was part where I talked at the end. <laughs> <laughs> what did you take away from JT? Uh, that he has a lot of insight to give around a lot of things he's been doing. He's been writing for a long time in various mediums, you know, from from TV to to comics to everything else. And he has a lot of knowledge that uh, that I, I'm hoping he can help share. I sent him a copy of the Einstein Anthology uh, to, to read over and, and uh, get his thoughts on. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that back from him and see what he thinks. There you go. Yeah, he was – he was a lot of fun. I didn't know him. I didn't know his work very well when he came on. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you never know what kind of person, because sometimes you got to go in and you got to find interviews that they've done just to kind of get an idea of how to interview them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll use things like, okay, what did the interviewer ask? You know, what was their reaction? Uh, things like that. And it was interesting to find some of his because – a lot of them were obviously conventions, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times when you have somebody from a convention, it's like they've only done one or two interviews their whole life. Like you know? They're new to it. They're fans. They don't, they're having fun with it. Yeah. Which is yeah. fine. Which is great. Yeah, it's, always, it's, it's fine, you know, because we have our own super fan for all these comic books, Jeff Haas. Yeah. The Get. Big the Jeff. Get. <laughs> but he, you know, if you listen to his interviews, you'll hear... Very specific, story-driven, character-driven questions. Yes, you will. You know, <laughs> which is great. But the, it's it's just a different style than what you and I would do. And it's funny right. because uh, you have to understand what the person's going to be like if that's an appropriate interview to do. Does that right. make sense? It, it, it does make sense. You want to know, you know, because some people like the, the deep dive into their characters and into what they've done. And some people just... Want to just talk and yeah. and and bullshit about stuff? Which but is I fun. get the feeling JT is one of the rare birds that's good for either side. Right? He'll deep dive into what he's written, or he'll just talk to you about whatever. So exactly, exactly. He was a lot of fun. I can't wait to have him back on. Yeah, me too. I, well, I hope everybody enjoyed that. Uh, I know I did, Johnny. I did too. I, I mean, yeah, I enjoyed every minute of it. And if you like t- our conversations with JT. And, you know, he talked about the, you just heard him talk about Robot Chicken and, and everything else. His time on Seinfeld. T- yep, time on Seinfeld, all that kind of fun stuff. If you like that, kind of hearing about those types of stories, then you should go over to SpoilerVerse.com and check out our back catalog and all the other amazing podcasts like Bridging the Geekdom and Misery Point Radio and Polygon Warriors and, geez, I, don't, I can't even name them all. Yeah, there's, there's so many of them. And you can also check out all the articles and reviews and previews and, and sneak previews and opinion pieces we have coming out from, from Robert Zvinsky, from Colton Colton Payne or Colton Bird, depending on which day it is, uh, from Sarah Kay, from, from Colton. And there's just so much coming out. You said, and Colton, you're there, you said from check Colton on, Bird, Colton Payne, or whichever it is, from Sarah, yeah. and then from Colton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, 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 Colton writes a lot, so he gets three, he gets, I guess he gets three credits. Um, <laughs> Also, we got a store link at the top there. Click on that. Go to our store and, you know, pick up a T-shirt, a hoodie, a, a, a face mask, whatever. Help support the show. Keep our lights on here a little bit because it does cost money for us to do this for you. And right now, everything is fully, fully free. Well, there you guys go. But don't forget, notions of podcasts. We are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do. 
Before you go, do you think I can get you to do a bumper? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, can you hear? Can you hear John? Oh, I think I just heard him. Hey, can you hear me? I'm here. Hey, John. Hey, I'm, I finally showed up. <laughs> oh, sure. Now, now, now he, he shows up. Shows up. All right, start over. Do it all. Do it all again. Hey, well John. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. John, I think I unplugged my camera, and I think that might have done it. Oh God! So it's your fault, not my fault. It might have been. Well, it had to be my fault. Actually, because <laughs> I was the catalyst, right? I could hear JT. I could so hear you. That's the only thing that changed. Yeah. 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 I've unplugged the camera because we had a, uh, what was her name? Ruth, Ruth McConnell on from, from uh, Supernatural. And oh, I left cool. that stupid camera lo- plugged in and it has the microphone. That's a web camera. Mm-hmm. It has a microphone in it. And I'm talking to her and she, uh, it was all weird. She could barely hear somebody and I can barely hear her. And, and come to find out it was, the microphone kept coming through her or through that stupid webcam. <laughs> yeah. And I keep, I keep forgetting to unplug it every time we start because we use it for uh, video stuff. Um, well, better late than never, I right? That when you want to do an interview with somebody and you just were like, I want them all to myself. Yeah. Well, JT was just selfish. Like, oh, I'm selfish so prick. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what would be interesting? Uh, JT is because you have launched quite a few different titles and quite, you know, especially with Aspen and Mm -hmm. you've been through things. Johnny is getting ready. He just, he did a Kickstarter last year. Okay. It was, it was a while. It was a great success and it's for a comic that he put together called the Ein's anthology and, and Mm -hmm. he's getting ready to send it to printer. Um, when do you think you're going to send it, Johnny? I don't know how long, I don't know where you're at on it. Oh, well, I, the digital the digital edition gets released uh, tomorrow, and then it go it'll go to printer probably next week or so. It might be fun if JT if you're interested. I mean, maybe we can find something else, but it might be fun when it comes out. Um, kind of going over the process of creating a comic book, sure. and, and what yeah. it means and how you do it, and and all that kind of fun stuff. Because uh, I think you have a unique uh, viewpoint on it because you've you've worked with so many different companies and so many different people. I, I think this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, and yeah, we have some people great. that you'll probably recognize on the book too. And I, I haven't technically, I haven't done a Kickstarter myself, so John, you, John can talk about that aspect of it too. So it's more of a conversation and not just like an interview thing. So it should be great. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, it'll be fun. That'd be great. Think? I'm, I'm down. It'd be awesome. Awesome. And, and JT, if, if, if you want, I'll send you a copy of the digital book to read. Yeah, you want to send me the book? Yeah, I'll send a copy of the book to you so you can read it if you want to. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Congratulations on it. Is that your you. first? Project? Um, it's my now. I, I did web comics for about thirteen years, from two thousand three to two thousand sixteen, and I published several like floppy, dick and fart joke books. But this is my first serious comic book. Dick and fart. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what they are. They're they're dick and fart joke books. And I published a lot of them, like three thousand pages yeah. worth. But this is the first serious book I've done. Yeah. yeah. One dick and one fart. <laughs> <laughs> there's all right. There's there's two dicks in it, right? But it's fine. Serious factor. <laughs> 
Uh, that's hilarious. So yeah, so we'll send it over. To, Johnny will send it over to you, and then um, we'll set up a time and we'll let's okay. do it. Maybe we can get a better, uh, ex- better experience. <laughs> so I can actually talk this time. <laughs> Maybe we should do it on Zoom, and we can um, that way we can oh, yeah. see each other and really do it. Yeah, does the audio record as well on Zoom though? Yeah, yeah. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Zoom. Not only does it record the video, but it records the audio in separate tracks. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool because it makes editing for us so right, right. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Let me know. All right. Oh, bumper. Bumper. <laughs> yeah. Bumper. Uh, I remember. How do you want to? You, you choose wanna, the, like, the, the project of, in your uh, spoiler country, like yeah. that kind of thing. Or? Yep. All right. Yep. And you can do it anytime you want. All right. Hey, guys, this is JT Cruel, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. Perfect. I like to put them at the beginning of the episode. Okay. Cool. So, okay. Cool. Thanks, JT. Yeah, this was great. It was nice Thanks, talking man. to you. I'm glad you had fun. I had I had a lot of fun, so that was really cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Sorry, sorry I talked so much, guys. I pre- Sorry. I know. You yeah. wouldn't shut up. It was so annoying. Uh, crazy. <laughs> I, I, was, I just heard him breathing the whole time. Very uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 like a pod stalker, podcast stalker. It was really bizarre. Someone's got to do it. All right. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Oh my all right, God. guys. Well, listen, you guys be safe. Hang in there. And uh, and I'll talk to you when I talk to you. Perfect. Thanks, JT. Later. Later, guys. Bye. See ya. Oh, my God. That was hilarious. Let me stop this. Yeah, that was fucking funny. All of a sudden, I'm like, I wonder I, I wonder if it's going to work right now. And it did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I pulled that thing out, and uh, <laughs> I, so I don't know if my if what is recorded on Skype is coming from the mic of the camera. It's not because you sound good. So, uh, and then because as soon as I pulled that out, it switched back and forth, and then it switched onto Zoom, and then boom, you're I could hear you, and it was on that one. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, it was so weird, dude. I was like, wow. oh, and he was so nice. Did you hear him talk about DC? Yeah. Oh, dude, it was, he was awesome, dude. I because I was like, well, because I was like, John must be geeking out right now. All this because he, he he gave you so much insight to these to the uh, going over to New Fifty Two and what it meant to him and everything. Yeah, and I just kind of f-ed him up on on Green Arrow and all this stuff. And I'm like, John must be geeking out and talking about that. There was a whole series on Teen Titans where uh, Prime Superboy was coming back and he was creating a group to freaking fight. The team to, to annihilate the Teen Titans, but they had to cut all this stuff out. And I was like, John must be just freaking out right now. And then I, I look like, and it's a BRB, and I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I was back pretty quick. I just I forgot to say I was back. I was brand. I had to go pee real quick. Oh, that's but, hilarious. No, yeah, he was cool. cool. I really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, I'll send him a, uh, tomorrow. The the PDF version will be out tomorrow. I'll send him a copy. Okay, perfect. And then we can um, set up a thing to, to to go. I think it's a great idea. I he's just so open. Yeah. You know, and he's not somebody like, you know, we could ask all these other people that we talk to, but having someone like him that's gone through all these people and, you know, he, he, he's close with Aspen, which is a great company. Yeah. And then doing all that. I mean, I was like, fuck, man, this would be fun. This would be fun. It'd be fun. Yeah. You know? And then I'm not going to say anything. He's going to read my story and see what he said, th- see what he thinks <laughs> with your art, your writing and Scott Galuski's art. Yeah, yeah, he'll probably be like, "This is the shittiest story." I don't. Know. Art looks great. The art's fantastic, but what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. All right, man. I gotta go All eat. Right. I'm sorry I was late. No, you're you're good, man. So sorry I couldn't talk. I don't know.
Uh, dude, it, it had to be that camera. It really did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like, you know, for next time. Yeah. Well, now, well, I know if we're not doing video to make sure that we pull that fucker out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bye, man. Have a good one. Later. Bye.